Grace to you and peace from God our Father, through Lord Jesus Christ, amen. A long time ago, and longer than I care to remember, uh, I was a freshman pitcher at Western Michigan University, relief pitcher. Uh, baseball was my life as a toddler when the bat was taller than I was, and all the way through Little League and uh, high school, American Legion ball, and then finally into college. Towards the end of that season, during practice, um, I hurt my arm throwing a ball from third base to first base. And it wasn't catastrophic, uh, but it didn't allow me to play ball that summer. So my collegiate baseball career came to a quiet end. I remember in third or fourth grade, a uh, teacher asked the, the whole class, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, well, I'm going to be a major league baseball player, of course. Now, I don't know if that dream was still present uh, that freshman year at Western, but looking back, it was just one reminder of that universal expression that everyone knows. Life does not always go the way we plan. Anyone here notice that? <laughs> Life's plans say, I thought I was supposed to be married by now. I thought I was supposed to get a promotion by now. I thought I was supposed to have retired by now. Supposed to be on this rewarding financial track. Supposed to have had children. Supposed to have met this person of my dreams. Or, I wasn't supposed to have hurt my arm. I wasn't supposed to go bankrupt. I wasn't supposed to lose my job. I wasn't supposed to get divorced. I wasn't supposed to get cancer. What do you do when life doesn't turn out the way you plan? This morning, uh, Maggie read a great passage of good news from the book of Jeremiah. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. We all have plans. We all do. But God doesn't say, for I know your plans you have for you. He says, I know the plans that I have. And in the Bible, God's always interrupting people's plans. Adam didn't plan on being the first man. Noah didn't plan on building an ark. Abraham didn't plan on becoming the father of a new nation in his 90s. Moses did not plan to defy Pharaoh. And Mary did not plan on getting pregnant. Not a single story in the Bible begins with, then some human being had a great plan. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about what is the plan. And a lot of this topic is from a resource by one of Pete's favorite authors, Tim Keller, a Presbyterian minister and theologian in New York. It's entitled, The Gospel in Life. It's a series on the gospel and how it's lived out in our lives, first in our hearts, then in community, and then in the world. 
And as we begin this look at plans, as Peter always says, we have to look at it in context. Context, what's going on around this uh, passage? So let's set the stage for this. In the ancient world, all nations worshiped their own gods. The general understanding was the better the nation was doing, the stronger the god was, the higher the status of that nation's god. So if your nation was rich and strong and most powerful, then your god was the strongest. If your nation didn't do well, then you had a weak god. So Israel thought that they would become the greatest nation in the world so that their god would be vindicated as the best. And that was their plan. But here's a brief review of what happened to Israel's plan. They enter into the promised land after going through the wilderness out of Egypt. And for a while, things were on an upward course, all the way through judges, and then finally they got a king. And actually, they had three kings. Uh, there's Saul, and that didn't work out too well. But there was David, and then there was Solomon. Those were kind of the glory days for Israel. And it, Israel thinks that they're still going to go up, and that's their plan. And after Solomon, as most of you know, the kingdom of Israel split, never to be rejoined or reunited again. And there's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom of Judah. They've got different rulers uh, and there's some tension with each other. And about 712 BC, there's a world power, Assyria, and it comes along and completely destroys the northern kingdom and it'll never rise again. The southern kingdom is all that's left of Israel. Just over 100 years later, a new superpower, now Babylon, comes along under King Nebuchadnezzar, and I still can't spell that, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> it completely obliterates the southern kingdom. Now all the walled cities of Judah are destroyed, in Jerusalem, the temple is demolished, and the leaders are taken by Nebuchadnezzar into exile. And they're forced to live in the city of Babel. So, the Israelites are living in a foreign country with a different God, radically different uh, values, a different way of life. Nobody planned that future. Exile was the greatest crisis by far in the history of Israel but it became fundamental to their history. It wasn't just losing homes or losing dreams. It raised the question, does this God of Israel really exist? Or was the whole thing a myth? So you have anguished statements like Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Israel. So one day, a letter comes to the people in exile from Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom, and he was still in Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand, there's a lot of questions that people have when they're in exile, and a lot of people demanding answers. How long will the exile go on? What should they do? How do they relate to Babylon? Tim Keller says that the people have been thinking in terms of two strategies when it comes how you live in exile. The first, and the one that Babylon wants, is to have Israel assimilate 
into the Babylon life. Now Babylon was gobbling up countries left and right. And many countries objected to that. Duh. <laughs> and many of the people wanted to rebel. So Babylon's plan was to bring them to Babylon, let them see their wealth and glory, and assimilate them and adopt their ways and take on their values. Live our lifestyle. Worship our God. And if the people can assimilate to us, then they won't be a problem anymore. If you can't beat them, join them. And that, my friends, is my very loose translation from Hebrew to English. If you can't beat them, join them. But of course, if Israel were to do this, they'd lose their identity and they'd lose their purpose. And they would lose their relationship with God. The second strategy, Keller continues, was that they just isolate themselves from Babylon. And this was very popular among the Israelites. There was a very strong faction that held that they should have nothing to do with Babylon. And this strategy came from the prophets that were telling the people what they wanted to hear. Because it was based on exile will be very short. It will not last very long. God is bringing you back home quickly. Don't have anything to do with Babylon. Isolate from the culture and have nothing to do with it. And then, along comes Jeremiah's message. From Jeremiah chapter 29, starting with verse 4, and this is the passage right before the passage that Maggie read this morning. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now this is a little bit strange. What, who do you think the Israelites thought brought them into Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. But to the, all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, obviously God's up to something. The God of Israel says, build houses and settle down. Plant crops and eat the produce. Marry off your sons and daughters. In other words, you're going to be in exile for a very long time. Matter of fact, all the people in this generation, all the adults, and he uses the figure in verse 10, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. 70 years. 70 years is the span of an entire life. It's a whole generation. So the generation hearing this message, you'll never return. You will live, grow old, and die in Babylon. But you can handle it. Because what you really need is not just in Jerusalem. In other words, you can worship God in Babylon. The God of Israel is also the God of Babylon. They just don't know it yet. Babylon's plan was to assimilate the Israelites into their kingdom. God's plan is to assimilate the people of Babylon into God's kingdom. I want you to live in Babylon with God. The thing that God was saying through Jeremiah was that we can live a God-loving life, even in Babylon, when things turn out not quite the way we had planned. And there's a doctrine about this called the indwelling of Christ. And Jesus' own words from the Gospel of John 
Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and will make our home with them. It's a literal promise. Jesus says that he will do this for you. We will make our home with you. It becomes our mission then to serve through the indwelling of Christ in our hearts. This gospel means that this indwelling of Jesus is available as a free gift of God's grace. Because when you think about it, we're all on our own. And we're all sinners. Sin is a spiritual exile. So, Jeremiah has already told the people that they'll be in exile a long time. And next he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And if you can, picture this. There's a crowd of exiles gathered together, and a messenger unrolls the scroll from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I want you to pray to the God of Israel for the city of Babylon. Now, what was the city that destroyed our country and took us into exile? Babylon. So Jeremiah says, I want you to pray to God for these people that ruined your life. Not only that, I want you to devote your energy and your skills to bring peace to the people that brought war to you. To bring prosperity to the city that brought devastation to you. That's kind of a radical new way for exiled people to be present in a culture. Jeremiah uses these words, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. When the city prospers, you will prosper. And what God is saying is that I want you to engage in work, business, culture, the arts, care for the poor, how you live with your neighbor, how you handle finances in such a way that Babylon can flourish as God intends the city to flourish. I want you to live depending on me in such a way that Babylonians look at you and say, you know, the funny thing is I don't believe in their God or their religion. I don't attend their church. I don't believe in their ideas, but I'm sure glad those Israelites moved here. Our city would be a poorer, darker place if the Israelites weren't here. God says, I want you to be present in your Babylon. I want you to lead your generation into a transforming relationship in authentic community with each other so that Berkeley, Michigan, our Babylon, can be blessed, can flourish as God intended it to flourish serve God in very creative ways that in turn will bless our community and glorify our God. To serve in creative ways. How about rebuild together? Crossroads. Habitat for humanity. SOS. World. Transforming relationships in community with each other so that Berkeley can flourish just as God intended it to flourish. And here we thought this passage was for a group of people 2,500 years ago. 
what these people began to learn in exile and what we can learn is that God cares about Israel. God cares about Babylon. God cares about Berkeley. God cares about Michigan. Thank goodness God cares about Livonia. God cares about General Motors. God cares about Aaliyah's restaurant, just right down the street. He cares about relationships and schools, people trapped in addiction, the poor, the widow, the alien. And this, again, is a gospel of grace. And it's through this gospel as we grow towards maturity in Christ by learning and belonging together that we pray for and seek the peace and prosperity and the flourishing of our little world of our Babylon. Where does it happen? Happens wherever you go and Jesus will be with you. When you're at the office and you take a moment to, to really care for a customer, or when you go to a coworker to work out a problem rather than gossip about it, then peace is breaking out in your little office. In your little office world, and Jesus is there. When someone is patient with a clerk at the grocery store, when someone volunteers to give time or resources to an overworked classroom teacher, when someone prays with a wounded veteran, when through participation in a book study or to share your thoughts in a Bible study, we help people search for knowledge and understanding that can set them on a path to truth. Then, then we're becoming a Jeremiah 29 church. And peace and prosperity starts to break out in, in our own Babylon. Then in our own Berkeley. Then in our own Michigan. And what if these kingdoms were the start of a whole new spiritual kingdom available to anybody, anywhere, anytime? And what if this redemptive power of God should come to redeem the whole broken world? If the whole earth could be filled with the peace and prosperity through the glory of God, and what if you and I lived in exile and were able to die to our own preoccupied, self-reliant dreams and become part of that God's wonderful plan? I know the plans I have for you, he said. They're not your plans. They're probably not your dreams. They're surely not pain-free dreams. They're just God's plans. They're just the plans for the hope of the world. Hallelujah and amen.